Open your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. This is familiar country. It is to us. We've been to this verse, consulted the content of this part of Scripture often because there's a good but a thoughtful message there. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Last week, I talked about unfailing truths, things that do not fail, four particular things in the Bible that specifically do not fail. The Lord faileth not. The Lord does not fail. And I said his word does not fail. Secondly, thirdly, I said faith doesn't fail. Biblical faith does not fail. And then fourthly, we said that love doesn't fail. The compassions of God, they fail not. So in investigating, putting this all aside and filing it into last week's sermon titles and so forth, I reviewed it again, as often do. Did I leave anything out or did I not emphasize something enough? And I looked at this third point we made last week about faith. Now, it seems like that's a good subject to me. It not only seems like it's a good subject, it is a good subject because it is the key that unlocks grace for God's people. Now, you may not have said it that way, but that's true. And everything that God has for us, everything that he gives to us is given because of grace. But there is something that activates that grace. It's something so vital and so necessary that we have and be and express that if we don't, we cannot please God. Not with the new building, fancy anything, lots of witnessing, mission. There's some things that you can do you hope get you some points with the Lord, and he does honor efforts. I know that. But the only way we can please God is by faith. The only way we can win battles in life and find God to deliver us is by faith. Faith is more than a conversation. It is more than a subject in the Bible. It is a way of life where the just shall live by faith in Romans 5, or we're justified by faith. Faith is what God has given us not only to live by, but to receive with to have our prayers answered by, and what pleases him. And when the enemy comes, when the devil comes in like a flood, the one thing he is after is to discourage you from using your faith or to discourage you from being faithful, to view the circumstances in your life with such grief and sorrow that there's no way you can see yourself going on. And instead of pressing in, you begin to back off. You find some comfortable seat somewhere in a religious setting and just, I don't know, this is enough. And you quit really being faithful. You quit exercising your faith. You quit looking unto God for your knees, and then you start looking where everybody else looks, and that's in the world. And the one specific thing that God said is the victory that overcomes the world is your faith. So I want to look at this subject again in light of all of that and emphasize a little more about faith. I'm going to call my message today, Fail-Proof Faith. I don't know if I'll get finished today or not, but you know what? There's another day, and if there's not another day, then we'll see you in heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 31, 
And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired you that he might sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren because you are your brother's keeper. That's our theme this year. You notice Jesus said once again in verse 32, he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. I'm not praying that the devil won't get his hands on you. I'm not praying that it won't be difficult. Jesus said, I'm not praying that there won't be pain or agony and whatever else involved. I'm not going to prevent that. But the one thing I'm praying for and the one thing that eventually and ultimately conquers sustains, keeps, and causes recovery is faith. And faith, as I think I've defined many times, is the best definition that I can come up with. Faith is nothing more than you making a choice to count on God to do what he said. Not to do what you think, not to do what you feel, but to do what he said. Faith comes one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When the word produces faith, you count on God to do what he said. No matter how difficult it seems, no matter what kind of miracle it would take, it doesn't matter. Nothing is too hard for God. And if thou canst believe, all things are possible to you. Now, that message has to get in our hearts. This message has been lost to generations. It came back in the 60s. A few people got it. Many who thought they had it don't have it. But this is a message that God has given to his people. This is how we live. This is the only right way to relate to God. There is no substitute for this. And if it fails, if it falls short, we have little of nothing left. Because our works, our activities, our efforts, our passions, that cannot save us. The only thing that can save us is faith. Faith is always seen in something that it does, not something it dreams up and designs, but something that God has said to do. That's what faith is. It's counting on God to do what he said. Now, concerning the power of faith, the way of faith, remember this. I think I quoted this last week. Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20, he says, if you have faith... As a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain or tree or whatever it is, problem in your life, be thou taken up and cast into the sea. He said, it'll obey you. And he ended by saying, nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, you take that verse of Scripture that we've heard so often and bring it down into light of your daily life. Nothing will be impossible to me or you. Nothing. That is, every attack of the devil, every obscene, difficult, arid thing that comes towards me to defeat me, to stop me, to discourage me, to overwhelm me, or to seduce me, it all has to fall under the power of faith. Because if I have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing shall be impossible to me. you got to like that. The centurion came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. He said, my servant is sick. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, you don't have to do that. There's no reason for you to come to my house. Because 
your authority is in what you say. And if you say my servant is going to be healed, then my servant will be healed. I don't care what kind of devil, infirmity, problem. I don't care what kind of medical thing you want to call it that's attached itself to my servant. It has no power in light of your word. And if you say to it, you leave, then it must go because you're a man of authority. And Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, he said, I have not found so great a faith, not in all of Israel. Here's a man who only needs a word. Here we are as a church, been here for nearly 31 years. All we need is a word. But so many times, as I look around churchdom, that was not near enough. We would rather have a counselor's comments. We would rather have somebody else's comments. We would rather depend on somebody's writings or somebody's discovery in a laboratory. And yet Jesus said great faith came from one thing, from only responding to God's word. Isn't that amazing? How many times have we in our lifetime languished over, oh, no, now what, and waiting for other shoe to drop? And yet all the years you've been in church, the one thing that God gave you, which is more than enough, is his word. Just take him at his word. Just do what he said. That's what his mother said at Cana of Galilee when they had their wedding feast. They said, well, you know, he, he told us to fill these pots up with water. And she said, whatsoever he saith, do. What great advice that is to people like us. Because one thing we all want is to have good success spiritually and for things to work for us. Faith tears roofs off of houses. Do you know that? It takes roofs off of houses just to get into where Jesus was. No matter how strange that may seem, we'll do what we have to do. Faith does a lot of things. When you're really determined to do something that you know God wants you to do, you'll be tested and tried, but it'll work because God will do that. And in Acts chapter 14, you know, Paul was preaching once, and the Bible said he perceived while he was talking, maybe in a congregation a whole lot smaller than this. They didn't have big buildings to meet in. But he looked at this man talking, and the Bible said he perceived that the man had faith to be healed. While he was sitting there, he hadn't done anything, but there Paul knew in his heart, this guy can be healed. I wonder if that plays down into our lives in this generation, that maybe the reason healing doesn't come is because we really aren't convinced. We're really not sure. We're really not absolutely positively persuaded that God is going to do this. Therefore, we're trying anxiously to get it, and we're trying to show how bad we want it and all that. And God simply says, all you need to do is believe. Only believe. The Bible teaches that in John 11. Only believe. It's as simple as that. All of our problems, all of our circumstances, all of these things that overwhelm so many people pale in the light of what God has given to us to combat it with. Yes, it'll hurt. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there are long, dark nights. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, 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 yes to all of that. But there is also ultimately victory. For all of us, if we will do what he said. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith is a gift. You can't manufacture it initially. Turn to Ephesians 2. You can't just 
have faith. It has to be given. Faith is a spiritual substance. The God-given faith is, Bible faith. In principle, faith is always an act of your will to do what you believe. And how many times have we talked about the pop machine? Oh, not again. Well, just for a moment. Everybody has faith in the sense that they have a choice. And what you choose is what you believe. The two aspirants is what your choice. That was what you believe. You believe in those two aspirants. You believe in the shot. You believe in the whatever it is you believe in. I mean, that's the choice you make because that's what you're convinced of. When you're scared and when you live in fear, you're convinced that you need something to defend yourself with, and therefore you do because that's what you believe. That's your faith. Your faith is in that, that big dog or that big gun, whatever it is. That's what you believe. You've come to that conclusion in your life that in order for me to be or to have, I have to do it this way. And God comes along and he says, no, you don't. You only need to believe that I'll take care of you, that angels of the Lord encamp around about them that fear him. That's what you need. And all these other things out there won't defeat you. He'll deliver you from all your fears. And so we all have faith. We can all put two quarters or five quarters or nine quarters in a Coke machine to get something to drink because we believe it'll work. We made a personal choice and decision to take my money, put it in this machine made by the lowest bidder, and that I believe when I hit a certain button, as per instructions, that I will get what this machine said I'll get because faith comes how? And so I read on there, do this, do this, step back, hit the button, get your drink, and have a good time. So I look at it and all of that. But when it comes to biblical faith, a natural man, a man apart from God, cannot make a choice to trust in God with all of his heart. That's a given. It only comes one way. That's why I'm saying this is a spiritual substance. It only comes one way. It comes from what? It comes by hearing, doesn't it? Not reading Reader's Digest or something else. It comes by hearing. It's a personal thing between you and God because, again, a natural man cannot receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. Are you with me? But when that same word that is spiritually discerned is discerned and God opens your eyes and you begin to behold truths from his word, then his grace comes into your heart and faith is activated. And you begin to say, I can believe that. Now, you couldn't have never believed that unless God had done something first. Now, in that sense, faith is a gift. There is a natural faith, which we all live by. There is a spiritual faith, which we live by spiritually. The natural faith will never replace spiritual faith. And spiritual faith is something between you and God so that you can please him. He says, I want you to live on my terms, my way. And he said, this is how you do it. You can't see me. You can't hear me. You can't touch me. There's no physical senses that can relate to God. It's all faith. You've got to believe all this. You've got to believe that the Bible you're holding is the word of God, even though people say, no, it's been altered. I have to believe it. The Bible says where two or more gather together, where is he? I have to believe that he's here in this room right now, maybe standing, who knows, right here. I 
have to believe this. And the only reason I believe it is because the Bible says it. I can't prove it. In light of what is visible and real in the sense of this world, I can't prove any of this. So I set all of those natural things aside. And I make a decision. I make a choice. I'm going to take God at his word. And I move from one side to the other side where I'm thinking, God, I believe you're here. I believe you said this. I believe you will do this. I'm counting on you. That's what faith does. It counts on God to do what he said. Now, Ephesians 2, in light of all that. For by grace, through faith, are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's verse 8. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Go to verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this now. This is a thinking moment. What does faith do? Now, it says at the end of the verse that, that it's a gift, isn't it? Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. All of those three things are gifts. You cannot, by anything you do, have any of those. They have to be given. Anything given is grace. It's God's graciousness in giving you something he doesn't give to everybody. He gave it to you. What would he give to you? Well, what did he say? For by grace, through faith are you saved, and that not of yourselves. For by grace, remember this, grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. You're not worthy of what you're getting. You could not earn it. You were not good enough for it. God gave it to you. By grace, it means that God has given something that could not be obtained any other way. This is the only way you get it, is if God gives it. When God gives it, he gives it because of grace. Now, by grace, through faith. What a wonderful word. Grace, by what avenue? Through what? Say faith, that's good. By grace, through faith. Is faith then necessary for us in order to obtain grace? I don't answer. Think. Is it necessary for Christians to exercise faith in order to receive grace? Grace meaning the blessings, the goodness, his merciful kindness, loving All of that when expressed is grace. And when it's given, it appears in the Scripture that it's given when those to whom it's addressed exercise faith to receive it. And the faith they exercise has been given to them by God. It may be only a little thing because it may be just a mustard seed, but what did he say in 2 Thessalonians 1 about faith? Faith groweth when you use it. You don't just give you faith and put that little thing in your heart and say, I got faith, praise the Lord, and then just that's it for the rest of your life. Faith is designed to grow. Faith is designed to activate, to bring things into existence. Faith is designed to change things about your life. 
It's designed to make a huge difference in you spiritually. And without it, you'll never change. You'll just sit back and rest or you'll just confess, well, I've read the Bible, I've heard him, I've heard that, I've read that, and praise the Lord, I was there when they said that. That doesn't mean you have faith. That means you were somewhere listening to something. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. If all you do is hear the word, but you never trust it, all you've got is knowledge. Knowledge can't save you. You have to believe what you know, don't you? You have to activate knowledge. I mean, whenever God says that I can do all things through Christ who saves me and, and leads me, that I have to believe that. That's not going to work because God said it, even though I say, I know that. Your knowledge isn't going to make it work. You're reading the Bible and confessing something as true because the Bible says it doesn't make it work. You got to believe it. Because, you see, if you don't believe it, eventually you'll let go of it, and you'll think you have it when you don't, and you'll just exist in a spiritual stupor and never go anywhere. You begin to lose your praise. You begin to lose your song. You begin to become dismal. You just sort of sit back and same old, same old, I guess you'd say. That's what happens when faith goes. And yet you bring a person to a meeting or a gathering who has in their heart the faith that God will meet us today, that God will fulfill his promises, that I'm not believing in vain, and so forth. Here's a person who has some lively songs in his heart or her heart. But if it's not real, if the Bible is just a book of words, stories, morality, chances are that's all it is. But when it becomes real, it becomes real when you believe it. And you believe it when God allows you to, to believe it. And when he begins to activate you, you add grace to grace and so forth, and faith keeps growing and grace keeps coming. You become the kind of person that people ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. Why are you so excited? Because I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he he is able. How do you know he is able? Where have you ever seen it happen? Who's it ever happened for? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen it? I can't say that I've ever seen anybody raised from the dead. Are you telling me that doesn't mean it works because I haven't seen it? Who believes it? You can't even believe that unless God gives it to you to do that. That's a gift. That's a gift beyond just an ordinary gift of faith. Now, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace through faith are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, if you will, just turn to Romans 4 and Romans 5. Romans 4 and verse 16, I want you to see this. I don't know how much of this we have ever realized, but we should. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. And then on and on the rest of that and the context, doesn't matter what all the context is right now, that is a truth. That is a formula of truth. If it's not a formula, it is just a statement of truth, a fact. Therefore, it is of faith, your salvation, that it might be by grace. As I see it, you judge. If I want God's grace to be poured out upon me, 
If I want to live in a continuous life where the graciousness of God surrounds me, then I must live a life of faith. Where in the Bible does it say, outside of your new birth, your initial coming to Christ, that grace is poured out upon unbelievers? Never does. I've never had to seek after God to make me an unbeliever. Help me not to believe. Lord, help me to worry. Lord, help me to be miserable today. I, I, Lord, help me to feel worse than I do. I feel so bad. Lord, help me, help me feel worse. Lord, I'm just so down. Help me get way down. How many of you know you never pray that? You pray the opposite of that, don't you? Because the opposite expression of that is grace. And you don't get it unless you believe what God said you must believe. Look at chapter 5, the next chapter over verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by what? Unto what? Grace. So whatever it is that God gives you, it comes under the heading of grace. The goodness, the mercy, and the kindness of God as it comes to you comes as God's gracious offering of himself to you. He does that because you believe. Now, the exceptions to all of that, I'm sure there's been times and many of us got a right answer when we had wrong actions. How many times have we gone through a trial and made a bad confession or kind of were beside ourselves and God delivered us? You think, oops. But he's good. Even in that way, he shows you how gracious and good he is to his own. There's times that God has to move into your life because if he doesn't, you might not make it. And he that started a good work in you is going to finish it. And when he called you out of darkness into marvelous light, he called you out for a purpose. He's going to change your life, and the way he's going to change you is by the Scripture. And he's going to open your eyes and your heart to see what is his, what belongs to you, but that only he can give it. And when he gives you what he's promised, he has been gracious unto you. But the Bible teaches us that faith, therefore being justified by faith, we have access by this faith unto grace. When I say, God, be good to us today, Lord, bless this and bless that, it's like saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to walk in the light that I have today, awaiting your gracious provisions. And he will. He will. Because if you don't want to walk by faith, if you don't want to trust him to do what he said, if you're going to draw back and wonder if it's ever going to work or doubt, and we've all done this at some early stage in our life, then like James chapter 1 says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Faith is the key. Without faith, there is, at least in James's chapter 1, there's nothing. Zero. Nothing. So if you want something, there has to be in your heart a willingness to trust God. You don't automatically do it. You have to exercise yourself. Like the Bible said, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Now, God gives us faith so we can have grace. Now, I hope you believe that. 
Because you can't sit as most Christians do in church and say, well, I see in the Bible where it says that, but he never done it for me. Well, I've never had anything happen good to me when it just doesn't look like it's going to work. I've heard that my whole life. People who read the Bible think that because they can read it and talk about it, that that means they believe it. But what they're talking about nullifies their faith. Well, why won't he do this? Why doesn't Because you're not believing. And then you got to fight. Even doubters don't want to be told they're doubters. They want to be doubters. They don't want you to tell them they're doubting. You're not believing God. You're talking about God. You know all the right verses. You can confess the truth. You can quote the Bible very well. You just don't believe it. What do you mean? Well, you don't. Otherwise, God is not fair because he's waiting for those who believe his word to activate his word, to do it. That's what he says. He's teaching us that. At least this is all in the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, he talks about be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do you inherit the promises? It takes faith. What are the promises? That's God's gracious offering. It's clear. What God offers is on the basis of faith. Again, James chapter 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask the source, God. What does he do? He gives liberally. But the condition that he said is that you have to ask in faith without wavering, without being uncertain, without doubting, without this way and that way. He said, if you do that, you won't get anything. You won't get anything. Now, anything's a big word goes a long way. What if I said to you today, how do you know you're saved? Most people say, because I went forward once. I held my hand up once. Is that it? Salvation was an act of many years ago, and that's all there is to it? What about receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls? Faith is not just a passive thing that happened once. It's an active thing that continues. You live that way. You live by faith. You're justified by faith. Faith is seen in what you do and how you live. The change in your life is seen by the choices you make. The choices you make are because of the influence of God's Word in your life. You can't do that anymore. Why? Because you believe that God would not have you do that. It's faith. It's how we live. It's why we smile and have expectations in our life. It's why we don't worry about tomorrow. Because the Bible says we cast all of our care over on the Lord because he cares for us. The expression of his care for us is grace. Our gracious God has been good to us, hadn't he? <laughs> he has, folks. He really, really has. He really has. What about Hebrews 4? You don't have to turn to this. Hebrews 4, 2. He said, the word that was preached unto us was a good news preached as well as unto them. Those of another time he's referring to, they heard what you're hearing because what they said then was not only for them then, but they were also for us. Things written aforetime were written not only for them, but for us also. Turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, unto us was the good news preached, that's the gospel, the same as it was unto them. The message has never changed. Amen. But the word which they heard, 
Just like the word that people are hearing today, as it did not profit them, it's not profiting church folks today. Why? That's the answer. They don't mix faith with it. And when you tell them that, they get mad at you. Well, fire him. Don't have him back. Get rid of him. I'm going somewhere else. Why? Because of truth? You know what Jesus said about truth once? He said, does this offend you? Are you offended because I'm telling you the truth? There's something about the human psyche, about the human mind that wants to think it's all right because it's put itself in an environment of goodness and therefore I am good. Don't tell me I'm not. And yet I will tell you, no, you're not. The only goodness you'll ever experience is when the grace of God brings it to you. But it'll come on the basis of faith because he said, Unto us was a good news preached on them, but the word they heard did not what? Profit them. Why? They, the people who heard the word, same today as was it, nothing's changed. The word they heard didn't profit them, advance them, improve them, do them better, because they did not mix faith with it. What is faith? Taking God at his word. Is counting on God to do what he said. How simple is that? Counting on God to do what, just like you counted on the, the pop machine to do what it said. You counted on to do what it said. And you got what it said. Well, God is true like that in the sense of his word. You count on God to do what he said. Well, I did all of that and it didn't work for me. Then let me make a choice here. Either God lied to you because you did everything right and he's not fair or he's fair and he's right and you missed it somewhere. Now I'm going to choose God and fight you. Folks, quit being so lenient with yourself. Quit trying to protect yourself. 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper, he said, if a man would judge himself, he would not be judged. If a man would look at himself and not compromise himself, be honest with an honest and good heart. Say, you know, I am as wrong as God says I am. My head is harder than the lips of a woodpecker. And therefore, I resist with this hard head. I resist the word of God. I want myself to be right and God not right. I brought God down to my level and I'm looking him right in the eye and saying it's not fair. And all the time God says, you're down there, I'm up here. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And then he invited us to be seated with him in heavenly places so that as he is, we can be. <laughs> Who are we to argue with God? Because he said we didn't mix faith with his word. And therefore, God, who makes the promises, reveals the promises through grace, brings them to us when we're faithful. It's as simple as that. Let me do it again in James 1. If any man lack wisdom, let's lack whatever. Whatever your need is, ask God. God gives liberally, freely, without charge. What's that? 
grace. But his liberality and his goodness is his grace. He gives liberally, and he upbraids you not. But let him ask how? In faith. When you ask God for something he has promised, you must count on him to do it. If that's not in your heart, then you need to spend a little time with the Lord because this other stuff won't work. It's got to be in your heart. And it isn't always there. We think it's there because we can read it, we can imagine it, we've heard about it, we've seen other people do it, and therefore it works for us. Not necessarily. It's got to be in your heart. My faith won't work for you. You can't live on the basis of my faith any more than I can live on the basis of yours. Each one of us has a responsibility to stand before God individually and use our faith for his provisions. That's the way you get them five of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. It's not a clear picture, but it's somewhat of a picture that the oil that I have that was given to me, I cannot give to you. You have to get it from the source. And you got just enough to get started, but you didn't stay with it. You know, you lasted for a few years, then you learned the routine, got in the rut, and you just became a religious person. And when the Lord came, you weren't ready. Isn't that right? And they'd be ready in an hour. You think not, he's coming. So they couldn't give what only God can give. They couldn't give you my grace. Your grace has to come from God. I can be gracious to you and kind to you as God has been to me, but I can't take spiritual substance to give it to you. As far as I know, I can't. Go back to your text, Luke 11 and verse 22. Because I want to talk today, if I get there, if I get there, on how you can have fail-proof faith. I got four things I want to say that I think if you do this, your faith will never fail. Now, before we get there, verse 31 and 32 again, Luke 22. He said, Simon, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. Now, the word sift, you know, is a sieve. Well, maybe you do. You throw grain in the air and you beat the covering over the wheat. And that goes away and all you got is the grain. You can grind it up and make bread out of it. So there's an agitation here that takes place in life. We usually refer to it as testings. God allowing us to be tested and shaken. And he said, Satan has desired you that he might sift you. It's sweet. He's going to agitate you. He's going to do whatever he can basically to discourage you from using your faith, making you think you're not good enough, you don't know enough, you're not important enough, you're just a nobody. And why would God do such a marvelous thing for you? He wants that to be in your mind. He wants to come in with his little devices and point you back to the old life about all your vulgar sins or your nasty mouth and all the obscene, ugly, or just wrong things that you did and acted. And he wants you to think, now how can you, living like that, think you can just come into God's presence? And he wants you to start thinking like that because that'll cause you to draw back. I'm not good enough. You start drawing back. Or look at all the things that I've done in my life. Look at all the people I have hurt or killed or whatever. And then why would God want to fool with me? Well, I don't know why he would want to fool with any of us. But he 
knew what he got when he picked you because there's nothing he doesn't know. When he drug your miserable life out of the miry clay, it wasn't like he got some kind of prize. He didn't win anything when he got you. There was a lot of people around you when he picked you. It was like we were all a bunch of weeds, and he went out in the weed patch and spread a bunch of them out and got one particular weed out of that patch. He could have grabbed the whole handful of them, but he only got one. He got you. Why? I don't know. But to get and use grace, you didn't choose him. And he chose you, and he put that weed in his garden. He began doing a work on it. It's going to last the rest of your life. And the one simple requirement that God has, the one simple requirement that God has from his weeds that become his flowers is that you be faithful. You be faithful. The just by his faithfulness shall live. Because as long as you're faithful, you will experience God. Amen? As long as you're faithful, you will discover find, receive from God marvelous things. And all of those things you get are designed to motivate your faith. But he said, Peter, the devil wants to sift you and discourage you. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. This is what seducing spirits and doctrines of devils do. They tell you that God doesn't heal today, that God doesn't deliver today that God doesn't work miracles today because it would take a miracle in your life. Well, he doesn't do that today, so you better find some other source. This is modern, contemporary religion. I think most of that old contemporary so-called music, Christian music, comes out of that same old so-called religion. It's a mess. It leads nowhere. It's just a gray mess. And people like the goo of the mess. It is like, the, it feels good before we go. I have no idea, but I like what I'm doing. The songs I'm singing about say nothing, but the beat's good. I was in a store this week up in Lancaster, PA. It's so long since I go shopping anywhere. Only when I meet Brother Guthrie do I ever go shopping. That's not entirely true, but every store we went into had the most awful music you could hear. It was absolutely awful. If the sale hadn't been really good, My decision was, I'm not buying anything in any store that has this kind of trash music going on. I have to listen to it. But anyway, having said that, the girl with a nice lady, college student, she was waiting on me. And so I thought, I'm going to try this. I think it was an Under Armour store. That sounds good. I said, ma'am, I said, well, I said, it was a rap song. And I said, it's more like a rat song, but it was a rap song. And I said, do you know what they're saying? And she went, no. I said, so then why, why do people listen to that? You know what she said? I don't know. I said, I know what it is. She said, what? I said, <laughs> as God is my witness, when I started doing this here, she started doing that. My neck was sore for half an hour. But it's the beat. 
I tell you, it's not only the beat in music today, but it's the show. Faith is the product of what's going on today in modern-day religion. It's not faith. It's building bigger and, and self. Be all that you can be. And it's not about sin, and it's not about repentance. It's not about coming to terms with God's way in your life and taking up a cross and following to Jesus. Oh, no, don't say that. All these people might not come. So a whole generation, especially you young people, if you're out there, you're being trained to taste and see the nothingness in religion, and by the time you're 20, you'll walk away from it, and you'll never come back. And that's a seducing spirit. That's the doctrine of a demon that tells you not only that God doesn't do miracles, that God has changed, that that was for yesterday, and today we have all these other options which we can't afford. And you say, well, that's a lie. Of course it's a lie. What would you expect the devil to tell you? Simon, Simon, the devil, by permission, has been granted the obtaining of you. And he's going to work on your mind. He's going to work on your daily routines and your job, everything he can to put into your thoughts why things won't work for you, why you can't be, why you're not good enough, why you've gone too far, and why you might as well quit trying. It ain't going to work. He wants to put that in your mind so that becomes the choice that you make in life. Why try? It won't work. Three or four in the church said it would work, and they all died. What? I must be next, huh? That ain't what God said. That's what people said. That's what man said. A man made by man and a man-made institution taught that man to say that, and he rolled right in there and did what he was told to do, and that's what the people believe because it's easy to believe nothing. It's easy to sit in a seat and watch the show and spend millions of dollars on a fancy building, a fancy <clears throat> Equipment, amenities, and the show, and make people happy and entertained. All you need to do that is money. But to set those same people down and begin to explain the process of salvation with that great word faith right in the middle of it, that's the way you start, that's the way you live, that's the way you'll finish. And without that, you'll get nothing. Oh, that's so offensive. You're so narrow. You're so dogmatic. You're so legalistic. You're trying to make everybody think they have to live this way, and they do have to live this way. It's a narrow way. Multitudes will seek to enter in. I'm going to church this morning. They will seek to enter in. They think that if I go to church, I'll be good. Jesus said they won't be able to enter. Only a poquito. Only a few will make it. Well, that's pretty narrow. Jesus said, you pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape what's coming because most Christians in the church think, I'm going up in the rapture when it happens. They won't go. They won't go. Jesus comes back to those that look for him. They're not looking for him. They're looking for a better life for themselves. Not for him who gives you a better life. They're not looking for him. And when he comes, not very many people will know it. There won't be that many people gone. It'll be life as usual. 
How do we know that? Because of what the Bible says about, and I'm getting off subject, but allow me for just a moment. How do you go from sifting to the last days? But as it was in the days of Noah, it'll be like that in the end. Nobody was concerned about the proclamation of Noah about the coming of the end. Nobody was concerned about their sins and their nastiness. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Never mentioned in the good light in the Bible. Never. So vile that they can't even find the trace of the place. I think the Salt Sea is where it was. And Salt Sea is the lowest point on this earth. Landmass. And that's how God must have thought about it, if that's where it was. He so burned it down, he just dug a hole and put the whole mess down the bottom of it. The whole mess. I'll see it a few weeks from now. That's how God feels about it. Religion doesn't please God. What was that Laodicean church that said, Lord, I, you know, we have this and we have that and we're well to do and we've done well. And he said, you're wretched, you're vile, you're poor, and you're naked. But in the eyes of God, you're not worthy and you will not be accounted worthy to escape the mess you're in. You think you're good enough and you're not because God doesn't have your hearts. You're unfaithful. You've designed a religion which is not what God said. The Pharisee stood thus with himself and said, I thank thee, Lord. You're welcome. But I thank you that I'm not like other men. I am a spiritual man. I am the real deal. And Jesus said that man was unjustified. All of his labor, his works, his study, the counting of his seeds, the reading of all of his commentaries, and the categorizing, pigeonholing of all the facts, none of that would save him. None of that works. Because when it comes down to the end, it's, I never knew you. Who does he know? Well, he must know those that have faith. Isn't that right? Is that in the Bible? Could you prove it? I'm not going to ask you to turn to it because you might have a hard time finding it. But it's in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. He knoweth them that trust him. That's who God knows. Knows in the sense that he relates to. He knows all things, but in the sense of his relationship, his knowledge of hearts and everything, he says, I know some, I don't know everybody. I never knew you. So Peter, in our text, he said, Simon, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail you not. You read that. Verse 32 begins with what? The devil has desired you to sift you as wheat. What's the first word in 32? But let me share with you something. Jesus said, Shelbyville, there's a real devil in the world, and he really does want to destroy all of you, prevent all of you from living a good life and enjoying life or from going to heaven. And he really is active. He's never discouraged. You can defeat him 15 times. He never quits. He keeps coming back, never gives up. The devil never stops. But here's what God says here. But I. The devil's going to, here he comes, oh my, but I am here also. 
You're not alone. You're not helpless. You're not without help. It's never bigger than you are because God is on the scene. But I, I have what? I have prayed for you. Now, you reckon his prayers heard? Come on now. God could hear all prayer, but you know he doesn't listen to all prayers. Could he hear Jesus' prayer? He not only could, he did. This is God praying. He would listen to himself, wouldn't he? Maybe you don't think he is God, but he was. He said, but I have prayed for you in this crisis you're going through, in the miserable difficulty you're experiencing, I have prayed for you for one single specific thing, that your faith will not fail. It was not given to you with the idea of failing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God does not respond to active, real faith. It does not fail. It works. If it didn't work, you couldn't be always persuaded because there's that uncertainty in there. But because faith is an act of a man's will, because faith is something that I must myself activate, God won't make me believe. I have to choose to believe. Faith is a choice. Then the devil works on all the reasons why I should not believe. And if I draw back and give up that, then my faith in the sense that I was discouraged or defeated or seduced, I fail. When I back away, I fail. When I give up, I fail. But when I hold fast to the promises of God, in spite of all the darkness and the terror that's by day or by night and all the difficulty and the painful thoughts, memories, and experiences, if I will hold fast to what God said, he will deliver me. I've got to hold fast. Now, let me ask you something. Will Jesus' prayer be heard in the sense that will he pray for us? Does Jesus pray for us? If you got your Bible, leave your finger in Luke 22. I'm sure we'll come back. But look in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Wherefore, it begins with wherefore. Wherefore he is able. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make what? When will he quit interceding for us? When he comes back. Because his people will be ready when he comes back. He won't need prayer anymore. Now listen, if God hears prayer and if he hears Jesus' prayer and if Jesus is praying for you that you survive and that your faith fail not, it's going to work, isn't it? Now you don't know it like that because all you know is what's going on right now. You've got to believe this, that God will do what he said. I've got to hold fast. He said, he ever lives to make intercession 
for his people that what he's praying, God will do for them. Think of that. You think the Lord is making intercession for you? Do you? Does he pray for everybody? Easy. Does he pray for everybody? You hear it all the time in the modern world. God loves everybody. Even though he calls some of them and said, you're a child of the devil. Oh, God loves them too. I guess they would think in the days of Joshua going into the promised land when God threw stones down from heaven and killed more people with stones than the Israelites did with the sword that he loved them and he threw the stones on. I love you. Whoom! I love you. Whop! Now you need to get your thing about all of this straight. God loves his own. Turn to John 17. And we'll clear this up. John 17. Let me get verse 8. Because not everybody has verse 8. He said, I have given them the words which you gave to me. And they have received them. Not all church folks do. But these did. And have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that you did send me. And notice the next verse, I pray for them. Who? Who's them? Don't be afraid to say it. Just say it to yourself. Just say it real quiet. Whisper it, and then you won't have to wash your mouth. Who does Jesus specifically say he prayed for? The next part of that verse tells you who he specifically does not pray for. Who are the ones he specifically does not pray for? The world. He said, I pray for them, his own. That would be you. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are yours. Are you his? Are you his? How do you know you are? You only know one way. You haven't seen the Lamb's book of life, have you? And then how do you know there is even a book or that your name is even in a book? You don't know by natural knowledge. It's back to faith. Something in me is sure that that's true. Something in me is convinced that God has saved me. I mean, all the things that have happened that my name is in the book, I believe it. I'm willing to act like it's true. I'm willing to live like it's true. I'm willing to change all of my ways because a man's name in that book, there's a lot of things he wouldn't do or she wouldn't do. And I'm going to live like my name's in that book and not live the way people used to live, the way I used to live. There's something stirring on the inside of us. It's the Spirit of God working to instill in us that God is the source of our life, the power in our life, and the way for our lives, and that he will do exactly what he said. Jesus said, I gave them your words. They receive them. I don't pray for the world. I pray for these that you gave me, John 15. You didn't choose me. Did Jesus choose those Pharisees he fussed at? No. He didn't pray for them, didn't even take the time of day to witness to them. They'd ask him a question. He'd give them what kind of answer they needed to hear and walked away from them. Beware of the leaven. 
of the Pharisees and Herod or the Sadducees also. Beware. Come out from among them. They're not his people. Do you believe you're one of them? Have you been born again? Huh? Have you experienced a new life? Are you living it? Or are you just, yeah, I went forward in the Baptist, Methodist, whatever church. Did you go forward in the Methodist church? Christian church you did that I grew up in. Yeah, I did that. I went forward. They don't save you. You can get in the baptistry with washcloth and soap. That won't save you. You got to believe. Faith. F-A-I-T-H. Counting on God to do what he said for me as he has shown me and convinced me from his word. Are you still in John 17? Look at verse 20. John 17 and verse 20. Again, neither pray I for these alone, but for those folks in Shelbyville. Now, the word Shelbyville is not in there, is it? Not only did he pray for those he was with then, but who else does he pray for? Read it. Verse 20, just read it. But I pray for those thou hast given me. I pray for those that thou hast given me. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Let me tell you something. Believe on their word. Remember this. Believe is not a passive word. It's not something you did once. Believe is a verb. It's an active thing. It shows action. It's doing something. To believe is to be doing something that shows you believe. A believer in getting pop out of a machine does something, does he not? Does he not have to put something in a machine to get what the machine says? What if you saw him over here said, I just don't know why. Well, if you came street corner in the mall and the guy, I don't know, you said, what's wrong with you? He said, I've, I've been wanting pop for years. I can't get it to come out. You got to do what it says. Oh, I believe what it says. I wrote a song about those words. If thou shalt put some money in the pop machine, it shall sure. And, you know, I, I wrote a song about it, but it doesn't work. You got to put the money in it, brother. You got to press the button, brother. You got to wait for it to happen, brother. It might take a while. But you can hear it going on. And you got to wait, brother, but it will work. Oh, it just doesn't seem like it ought to work. Well, no, that's your problem. You're not a believer. You're a knower, but you're not a believer. You're not a believer because you can only quote it, tell about it, write songs about it, but you never experience it because you don't do it. You're not a believer. You know who Jesus is praying for? Don't get mad at me now. I didn't write, how many of you know I didn't write this? Let me read it for you. you don't, you're looking at me so hard. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Amen. That's the truth. And Jesus finished that up by saying, and when you're converted, when you get turned around, because faith will do that, your nights will always turn to day. 
Weeping through the night, joy comes in the morning. One makes the other one, whoo, what it ought to be. So you come to church, you praise God, whoo! That's the way we are on Wednesday nights. You know why we laugh? Because we know we're not. And we know there's something wrong. And we know the wrong isn't with somebody outside, the wrong with somebody inside. We know that. We're saying the right things. We want the right things, but we ain't acting like we got it. I love you too, you're, and you're welcome. But he said, when you are converted, be your brother's keeper. Strengthen your brethren. Because one thing Jesus said, hurting people need is for one who has hurt himself or herself to minister to others, to take out of your experience and minister to others and show them how it works and how to trust God. Amen. Now, our message today, we will wait till next week. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, this morning, as a group, as a gathering of believers, we are thankful. We are grateful, and we are thankful for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness, and your goodness. You have said in the Bible as a promise, our faith can embrace, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. Our table will be prepared, overflowing. Valleys and shadows will not make us afraid. We will experience the streams and the green grass and the goodness and your shepherding compassion. Grant to us this morning as we have assembled here in this room that something within us will be stirred to want to have the faith that you promised so that we can really walk in the victory and the joy and the peace that you have promised through faith. Heavenly Father, there is no reason on this earth that we should be defeated and forlorn, not a single reason. You've granted to us promises that far away and exceed all that we are seeing and going through. Help us to come boldly to the throne to obtain mercy this morning and have a need or a bunch of needs met for us, prayer for our children, our jobs, money, our tomorrows, the uncertainty of them. Help us to believe, Lord, that you're going to take care of it all. Grant us that. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? All right, now let's sing. Let's give the Lord some praise here. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah. Let's give him a shout of praise before we start. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. 
Yes, Lord. 